guys, you're listening to Tea Time with Tay, a podcast series where I sit down, like I have a choice, brew some tea, and then spill it. Let's start the show. Hello, world, Facebook friends. Lifetime friends, family, Instagram followers, anyone who has happened to come across this podcast. My name is Taylor Lindsay Noel, and I am really, really grateful that you are here listening to this, which is the very first episode of Tea Time with Tay. The idea for this podcast derives from my everyday life, sitting down at my kitchen table with my girlfriends and just talking about love, talking about all of the hell that we've been through, our childhoods, and our futures and goals, which I think is something that's really relatable to a lot of people. I'm one of those people who really relies on company to talk out and get through hard moments. And this is kind of where the idea for this podcast came from. Shout out to my friend Natalie. She had a lot to do with me making this a reality. She got me into podcasting, listening to several of our favorites, including The Brilliant Idiots, um, Lip Service, and for me, The Read. After listening to them for weeks, I really thought that this might be an avenue for me to express myself in a new way. At first, it was gymnastics. Then I found a love of writing, and I've always been a big talker. So that is why I'm here, and I really hope that you stick around to listen week after week. Right now, the plan is to do this podcast twice a month, but I am not quite sure, so stick with me, and I will keep you updated on how it goes. For this episode and for every other episode, I will be starting with a tea review. Right now, I am sipping on David's Tea Buddha Blend. If you have not tried it, it is amazing. Steep it for about three to four minutes, sit back and relax, and it's really good. I give it a review about four out of five teacups. As you can tell from the title, I thought it would be great to do an introduction. Most of the people who are hearing this right now know me extremely well, and I really thank you for being supportive. But for people who might not know my full story or might not have heard my story at all and might be like, what is she talking about? Here is a little bit of back information. Just about eight years ago, which is kind of crazy to say because it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but about eight years ago, I was a gymnast. And to clarify the difference, I was an artistic gymnast, which means I did the vaults bars, beam, and floor exercise. I wasn't one of those flexible gymnasts who did the ribbon and the hoop and all that fun stuff, but um, I was an artistic gymnast, and that was something, a big part of my life. I started when I was five years old, trained every day for pretty much 10 years leading up to my accident. On July 15, 2008, everything in my life changed. I remember waking up that morning, and it was during summer training. I was at my grandma's house. My mom had gone to work. And 
I knew something was different about that day. Um, I woke up and I went down to have breakfast, sat with my grandma. Then my mom picking me up from work. She was coming to pick me up at work. She was late. And my mom, I love you, mom, because I know you're listening to this. My mom sometimes runs late, but this was abnormal for her. She was about 35 to 40 minutes late that day. And it was a beautiful summer day. There was really no reason for her to be late. And I remember thinking to myself, I really don't want to go to gym today. I really would rather just stay at home, watch some TV, hang out with my grandma. I don't really want to go to a gym that's 30 plus degrees, train, be sweaty, get exhausted. Really hated the conditioning aspect of gymnastics as well. Wasn't looking forward to that at all. Um, and I just remember sitting there and thinking, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. But of course, we all have those moments where you don't want to do something, but once you finally get there, it feels better, and you feel great, and you feel happy you did it. And I thought that was one of those moments. So finally, when she showed up, I knew that when I got to gym that day, I would be very late, and my coaches would be extremely upset with me. Um, upon arrival, my suspicions were right. I was yelled at for being late, which, like I said, was expected, and I was forced to warm up alone. Um, there was two other girls in the gym at the time. Amazing, amazing gymnasts. Like, when I tell you amazing, I remember being very self-conscious around them. Um, one of them was going to the Olympics in a couple weeks prior, uh, following my accident. And the other one, she was my age, and we were best friends at the time. Um, but she was really good. And I really looked up to both of them, both as peers, but also as competitors. So they warmed up without me. Um, and part of my punishment was doing my warm-up by myself, which I did. And I did everything right. I did I had been doing this for years. This was nothing significantly new for me. I remember after that heading towards the trampoline, doing our rotation there, heading to floor, and then we went to bars. The parallel bars, for anyone who has ever been a part of the Canadian gymnastics realm, and if they have known me as a gymnast, they know that it is a running joke that I am horrible at bars. I suck at bars. It wasn't even, there was really no hope for me. At a competition, I could maybe place in the top three on the other events, which is vault, theme, and floor, if I'm having a very good day. But bars was always one of those events where I'd come 10th, 12th, may, maybe worse. And that would always really affect my overall standings. So this was nothing new where... This wasn't a surprise to me that bars was my worst and hated event. But nonetheless, as a gymnast, you have to do all of them. So I went to bars, started training, doing our regular routines and trying new skills. This was something that was very common in gymnastics where you have to progress, obviously, in the sport in order to go from junior to senior to being Olympic level. And this is something that I know comes with the territory. On that specific day, July 15th, my coach, my male coach at the time, uh, came up to me and asked me 
to perform a skill. He called it a double rigby, a double front rigby. Now, if we go back eight years, YouTube was not very prevalent. If someone nowadays were to ask me to do or perform a skill or perform anything, anything as simple as make an egg or make a boiled egg or how to set up a computer, anything you want is on the internet now. But back eight years ago, that wasn't very common. So I remember him coming up to me. My other friend was there as well, hearing this entire conversation. And he asked me to do it. And he said, I, you know what, let's try this. And I remember looking back at him and thinking, what are you talking about? It is not very common that you come across a skill in gymnastics, especially after having trained in it for 10 years that you've never heard of. And so I asked him to try to describe it to me. He described it as two front flips, leaving the bar, going forward. I'm trying to simplify this for people who are listening who don't know the sport very well. Obviously, any gymnast would probably know what a rigby is. A toe on rigby, cast a handstand, step down, do a front tuck, leaving the high bar. But for people who might not understand, it is essentially doing two front rotations, 360s, I think people call it, leaving the bar, but you are almost starting the rotation going backwards. If it sounds complicated, it's because it is. It's humanly impossible, which I came to find out much later. Um, and I remember kind of laughing and saying, I don't know how to do that. There is no way I'm going to do that. And I communicated this to him. Him being the person that he is and was, I don't know him now, so I can't say is, but was, um, he was like, no, we're going to try this. It's going to be fine. And this conversation, this back and forth, went on for close to one hour. Um, yeah, it was... <sighs> It was one of the most frustrating things because at the at the time I was only 14 years old. Um, it is very rude and disrespectful as I was taught to talk back to a superior, obviously in life, but in the sport of gymnastics. Let me turn this phone off. In the sport of gymnastics, you your coach you are taught to listen to your coach, taught to trust in your coach, and I, which I could imagine with any sport. And I had a great deal and level of respect and trust in him. So I would continually express that I didn't know how to do the skill. I asked him to see a video. He said there was no video of it. I told him I have never heard of it. He said that it's because it's never been competed on a world stage. This was the truth. It has never been competed on a world stage, but what he failed to tell me as well is that it has never been competed anywhere. And he knew that and failed to communicate that to me. If I had known at the time that the skill had never been completed anywhere before, competed anywhere before, I would definitely, it would have definitely set off 
more red flags than it already had been. I knew something was wrong. I knew something didn't seem right. But if I had known that it had never been competed before, ever, that would probably signify that it is a very difficult skill. There's hundreds of skills that can be performed in the sport of gymnastics. So to have a skill that has never been performed anywhere would have told me that I probably should not do this. Again, reiterating that gymnastics, in the sport of gymnastics, bars was my worst event. If there was anyone who should have been a guinea pig for this skill, I was the last person. Going back to our back and forth, this went on for an extremely long time. And to be honest, I was surprised I wasn't kicked out of the gym because if you have a disagreement with a coach, sometimes they'll kick you out for the day and say, you know what, go in the change room, sit, we're done. And I was expecting that to happen because of the back and forth we were having. But for some reason, he decided to keep persisting and finally ended it with, Taylor, you are letting your judgment, your fear cloud your judgment. Trust in me. I'm an Olympic level coach. I wouldn't ask you to do anything you are not capable of. And that statement is one that still eight years from now haunts me because I should have probably listened to my judgment more than someone else. But again, at 14 years old, when this person is someone who you trust and hang out with and are with more hours of a week than you are with your own parent, you have to believe in them. You have to believe that they would never put you in a situation that could hurt you. And so I trusted him. On the very first attempt of the skill, I landed completely on my back on a mat and I had no idea where I was. Absolutely no idea. And that is a terrifying thing for a gymnast. We have such good body awareness. We need to be in control of our bodies at all times. Our minds and our body need to be in sync. And my mind and my body were completely disconnected. It was like, it was almost like an outer body experience because I was seeing what was happening, but knowing that it was me, but I had no idea what I was doing, how I was going to complete it. I had no mental vision of what I was doing. And that terrified me beyond belief. Before the very first attempt, I had asked him to spot me which means to step in and be there to catch me if I fall, to help me complete the skill. And he told me that, this, that he was not able to spot it because he said that he would get in the way, which again, a very, another red flag. And um, so after the first attempt, I was petrified to do it again. I expressed this to him. We had cameras in the gym so that we could watch back our performances after you complete them. And him and I both went over to the cameras. We watched and it was so clear that you could see 
in my eyes and in my body language how lost I was in the air trying to complete the skill. I got it only about one and a half rotations around, which is why I wasn't able to land it on my feet and why I instead landed on my back. Tea break. <laughs> and so after watching it again, we went back and forth for probably another 10 minutes. Me just crying and expressing to him how terrified I was to do it again. And yet again, he calmed me down, told me that, you know what, you're not going to get it on the first try. Let's try it again. Um, and so I did. I put my fear to the side. I put my gut feelings to the side. And I decided to instead put trust. My trust in him. My trust that he felt as though I would be able to do it, even though my body was telling me, I don't think we can do this. So on the second attempt at the skill, I left the high bar, got about one and a third rotations around, landed directly on my head, broke my neck, instantly severing my spinal cord at the C4, C5 level and landed on my back. Actually not landed on my back, flipped and rolled over my head and landed on my back. Immediately following that, I remember opening my eyes. I didn't black out for a second. I stared up at the ceiling and I just remember feeling like someone hit me in the head with a pillow filled with cement blocks. I, the impact was so strong, but I couldn't understand at the time why I felt like I had hit my head, but I was already on my back. Staring up at the ceiling that was so bright and blaring, glaring down at me, I hear in the distance my coach yelling, get up, get up, Taylor, get up. And I'm like, oh, God, let me just lie here for a second. And I took a deep breath. And as I've done many times in the past, when you have a fall, I tried to get up. So I jerked my body forward to try to get up. So stand up so I can go watch it and deal with my angry coach. But nothing moved. Winded still. I took a deep breath and tried again. So I jerked myself and what I thought was jerking myself to stand up. So I thought I was just very winded from like having whiplash or something and nothing moved. That's when my coach yelled and said, Taylor, are you okay? Get up. And I just kind of whispered back and said, I can't get up. And then I said it again. I can't get up. I can't get up. I can't get up. I can't get up. And he's like, what do you mean you can't get up? I'm like, my body is not moving. This is when he proceeded to come over to where I was. And I just remember trying again and again and again to stand up. And nothing was moving. Not one 
inch of my body was moving, and I began to panic. I was breathing so hard. I was beginning to lose my breath and just trying anything I could to stand up. He came over. I was on this mat, which we call a pit, but it was just solid foam. So if you step onto it, it's like a, it's pretty much the opposite of what you want. Um, what are those mattresses called? A Tempur-Pedic mattress. When you step on those, none of the rest of the bed moves. Think of this as like almost like a mixture between a Tempur-Pedic and a waterbed. On a waterbed, you step on it, the entire thing moves. The mat that I landed on was the in-between of that. If you step on it, the next portion of it will move. So this is something I am so thankful for that he did. He came very cautiously onto the map and um, I'm sorry and he knelt down beside me and asked me if I was okay at this point I was hysterical I was crying because I I knew something significantly wrong had happened and I couldn't figure out why I was still on the floor when every single time for the last 10 years of my life, I would just get up. He, he proceeded to ask me, where did I think my body was? Now, this is like a spatial awareness test, I suppose, he was performing on me, which at the time I didn't really get why he was asking me this, but obviously, eight years later, I get it. Um... He asked me which way he, I thought my legs were, and I closed my eyes, and I remember trying to sense my body, and I told him that both of my legs were on the right, which on the right side of him. My coach had the most piercing blue eyes, and I remember they kind of just glossed over, because I think in that moment he realized that something significantly wrong had happened. He looked back at me and told me, no, your legs are completely on the left side. He asked me after that, can you feel me touching your leg? And I said, okay, go, touch my leg. And again, those eyes just became almost, he was in a, I think he was in shock too. And he's like, I've been touching your leg the entire time I've been here. And he said, can you feel me touching this? And I said, no. Where are you touching? And he said, your hip. He said, can you feel me touching here? And I was trying to like close my eyes and feel him touching me. And I couldn't. And I said, where are you touching? And he said, your ribs. And he slowly started moving up my body at each little increment asking if I could feel where he was touching and I kept saying no and with each progressing no I became more and more petrified more and more concerned more and more confused as to why my body was no longer communicating with itself and as he progressed up it was only 
when he touched the side of my chin for the first time from the, my toes to the top of my body that I was able to feel something. When I said yes, he turned, looked at the other coach that was in the gym, and screamed out to her to call 911. I was bawling my eyes out because, again, at 14 years old, I was very aware that something was wrong, but I had no idea the gravity of my situation and wouldn't realize that until many, many, many months later. They called for the ambulance. The ambulance arrived. They very carefully picked me up, put me on a stretcher, and took me immediately to Sick Kids Hospital here in Toronto, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. In the emergency room, or sorry, on the ambulance ride there, um, my coach, my coaches took their car to the, to the hospital. My running coach at the time, Donna, she, oh, I don't know if I should be saying names. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, she was in there for the ride with me. And it was so fast moving. And I couldn't really remember how she got in there. But I remember being so unbelievably grateful for her presence. She was someone who was very calming to me. Someone who I trusted undoubtedly. And I was very, very happy that she was a person there with me through this ride. In the ambulance, they tried very hard to reach my mom. The first couple phone calls to her, she didn't answer. And Donna was talking to the ambulance ride, the, am the ambulance riders, really Taylor? <laughs> she, they were talking to the paramedics and I remember asking them over and over again, what do you think is wrong with me? In your best opinion, what do you think happened? And they're like, we, all we know is that you've landed on your neck and you've hurt yourself. We're going to take you and let doctors give you a proper diagnosis. We don't want to say anything because we don't know. Again, at 14, that wasn't really a good enough answer for me. And I kept pressing them and pressing them. But after seeing that they really weren't going to give me anything, I just felt this great sense of tiredness hit me. It was almost, at the time, it felt like I was just sleepy. But what I didn't know was that I was very close to dying. It was this tiredness feeling that I just needed to close my eyes. And every single time I would go to close my eyes and just be at peace, the paramedics would like yell at me and say, Taylor, please don't go to sleep. Please just stay awake. And I couldn't understand why. I'm like, why can't I just take a nap? Like you heard that I just fell. I've been training. I'm very tired. Let me sleep. And all this chaos was going on in an ambulance with the sirens. I'm like, why are there sirens? I swear this isn't that bad. My body's just stunned. I'm not paralyzed. Like I'm fine. But again, after each time of me feeling like I needed to sleep, they became more and more concerned, and again, the panic started to set in. Finally, 
we got a hold of my mother and um, she hearing her voice because I a mother's intuition they know when something's wrong I could tell she was crying because her daughter's in an ambulance and she just asked me Taylor what happened and I said mom I don't know I was doing a skill my coach asked me to do it I did it I hit my head I can't move my body but I kept saying mom I'm gonna be okay I'm gonna be okay it's gonna be okay and it was almost like me trying to reassure her that I was gonna be okay but deep down trying to assure myself that this really isn't that bad Taylor you're gonna be okay it's gonna be okay even though I didn't really believe the words that were coming out of my mouth I tried for me for her to tell her that it was gonna be okay and the last thing and probably where I'll leave it off for now was she said Taylor I'll meet you at the hospital I will be there and I remember telling her mom it's gonna be okay but I'm scared and I don't want to be in a wheelchair Fast forward eight years. My life is very different. July 15, 2008, following my fall, I suffered a very, very, very life changing spinal cord injury. The results of my fall resulted in me severing my spinal cord, like I said, at the C4, C5 level, which means that I am a quadriplegic, which in simpler terms means I have paralysis in the four major limbs of my body, my legs, my arms, my two legs and my two arms. I am able to move my arms for the most part, but I do not have fine motor skills in my fingers. I can't move my legs. And the numbness throughout my body is significant. I'm no longer a gymnast. On that day, my Olympic dreams died. My dreams to go on and pursue gymnastics at an accredited university died. 10 years of dedicating my life to a sport that I loved died. And everything changed. One of the hardest things throughout everything 
has been first the loss of independence I am dependent on the support of people to do things that were once automatic for me. Simple things like getting out of bed, doing my own makeup and hair, preparing meals, things that on a daily basis we all take for granted. Things that I didn't have to think twice about are now things that I would kill to do. Something as simple as walking a flight of stairs, I would give anything to do again. But I say all this with the understanding that through everything that I have been through and in following podcasts, based on the response or the request, I will and can go to further details as to what happened afterwards and where I am now and what I'm doing now. But right now in this place I am in my life, I have done such a significant amount of growth There's been a very long process of self-love. There's been a very long healing process that is still ongoing. And through it all, I am so blessed. Which sounds a little crazy. And some days I forget that. But I truly am blessed. I am surrounded by so much, so, so, so much love. That when I think about it, sometimes it's overwhelming. I've had the support of friends who have known me forever, my family, and most surprisingly, strangers. So many people who have heard about my story have reached out to me to say that, you know what, we're here for you, and that. If anything, I want anyone who is listening to this, anyone who has supported me to know that that support is something I will never be able to repay. And I am so grateful for so many people. I am blessed to still and not have had any mental or mental side effects from my accident. Everything has been physical, besides the emotional roller coasters that I've been on. Mentally, I am sound. I am currently finishing my fourth year of university at Ryerson University as a radio and television arts student or a media arts student. Don't know what our title is anymore. It's changed. I'm blessed to be able to go to school with people who have accepted me and have found new passions in writing. So if anyone is listening to this who 
has come and found this podcast through my Instagram, TaylorLN underscore writes, and may not have known my story, I want to say thank you for reading my work, falling in love with my words that have become my passion. That means a lot to me, truly. Um, and yeah, like I said, there... There's a lot that happens in eight years, and I really hope to uncover that through this podcast because I feel like people see what happened and know what happened in general, but they don't know the deep layers of it, and I really do hope to uncover that over time. Um, yeah. Oh. It's a lot. It's a lot. But I'm here and have a lot of future goals and a lot to look forward to in this life. Our life will, life for anyone, will always come with its ups and downs, its shocking and unbelievably tough moments. And it's in those moments where you truly learn who you are, you truly learn the people who will be there for you unconditionally and um it's been my journey an unexpected one but one that I try to as much as possible face with a great deal of grace and I'm doing my best prior to this podcast I had posted on Facebook asking my Facebook friends if they had any questions, because these are the people who probably know me the best. Um, but again, they don't know the full story, even them. Um, I had asked them for some questions, so I just want to run through a few of them now. The first one, uh, coming from, oh, such a beautiful gymnast that I used to train with, named Lydia. Um, she said, what would you say are the main factors that got you through to who slash where you are today? And how has your perspective on what cha- happened changed over the past eight years? You are awesome, Taylor. Thanks, Lydia. Um, the main factors that have helped to form who I am today, like I said, and just went on a mini rant about art, is the love and support that I have had and continue to have in my life. The consistency of support that I have been blessed with is immeasurable. I see people who go through similar injuries with me without that support and they're so broken. It's one thing to go through a change like this in your life. I was pretty much as active as they come to being completely reliant. I have seen both spectrums of life and what life has to offer. And um, to go through that and then to also go through the emotional realization of not having support, I would be broken. So it's the love of people, the compassion, the empathy that has helped me get to where I am today. And how is your perspective on what happened changed over the past seven to eight years. Again, an amazing question. I think 
through eight years of reflection, um, I think I used to blame myself a lot for things. We're now looking back. I'm like, I was 14 years old. If anyone who, because I've had people say, this is your fault, you've done this to yourself. But if you go back to when you were 14, take a second to understand or try to understand the mental capacity you have at that age. And I think the biggest change in perspective has been forgiving myself. The Taylor at 22 would probably, what I would hope and know now, would not make the same decision she would at 14. And so I need to forgive myself for that. And I have. I think. <laughs> um, I think that's been the biggest change in perspective. Yeah. Another question comes from Rabina, and she said, anger is a strong emotion for anyone to overcome. How do you let your positive feelings prevail? There's like the seven, oh God, this, I don't want to sound dumb. I think there's seven or eight stages of grief. Anger is one of them for sure. And I was angry secretly though. Many people when they see me, they see a positive, bubbly person because that is how I am. But for so many years, people didn't know, the closest people in my life didn't even know that I was going through very dark, emotional times of depression and anger um, and just trying to cope with everything while not letting people understand I didn't want the world to see me broken because they saw me physically broken and I'm like, I can't break emotionally as well. So I hit it very, very well. But the thing that has let and helped me to let the positivity prevail would most certainly be writing. When I discovered the power of writing out your emotions, when I felt like even though I had people around me, I felt like no one could understand fully what I was going through. Writing helped me through. It helped me release any emotion I had without the pressure of having to respond to someone or explain myself. It was almost like journaling was my therapy because my journal would understand me and I wouldn't have to explain myself. So after discovering writing in about, in the, like in 2011, 2012, a big shift in mindset helped me to be and have more positive days than anything else. And the last question to wrap up this podcast was um, from Max. I love Max. Uh, someone who I go to school with, actually. He said, what differences have you noticed in the way people act around you before and after your injury? And do you think society is educated enough to treat people with disabilities properly? This is a question that I love because when 
you are not injured and you are what they called able-bodied, you might see someone who is injured and feel like, oh, look at them. And f not in a horrible way, not intentionally, but you put a great deal of sympathy and empathy and like, oh, poor them. And not realizing that we in this disabled community are very capable and we are, especially if it's been a while, we are very happy people. And I think the biggest difference I've seen from before and after is before my accident, people would just let me be. Now afterwards, I feel like people treat me very cautiously. They're scared to bring up heavy conversations because they think I might not be emotionally stable enough for them. They baby me. That's the thing that I get the most, being babied. I want my family. I want my friends. I want everyone in my life to approach me and treat me like nothing's happened. Because when they don't, that reminds me that I'm different. And I don't need any more reminders in my life that I am different from them. So I think just in the cautiousness people have around me has been the biggest difference I've seen. Um, and not always knowing if people are being genuinely nice to you because you deserve to be nice or because deserve to be treated nicely or because they're cautious because you are quote-unquote disabled which I prefer to say differently abled because I'm very capable but um yeah that's been the biggest difference and do you think society is educated enough to treat people with disabilities properly no 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 they are not <laughs> I wish that society was more progressive in that but like everything through education, I really feel like people will learn. People who have never had to deal with anyone with a disability, once they have, they have a much broader understanding and appreciation of their lives and the struggles that we go through. So I think if exposure, if anyone could visit a hospital or if you know someone, if you just try to put yourself in someone's shoes for a day, I think you would see the struggles that we go through, and um, yeah, through education, I really think that there should be hope for people in society, but like everything, not everyone will, not, you can't expect everyone to understand all the time, but I try my best through motivational speaking, going out to schools, um, charity events to educate society about the differently abled community and how to approach us and how to not park in wheelchair spots when it's not made for you or use wheelchair washrooms where they're not built for you and it's for a reason. So again, through education, I think all things are possible. There were more questions in my inbox that I will save for a different time, but because this podcast is running longer than I thought. To end every podcast, I hope to include a piece of my writing Seeing that, this was an introduction to myself about my injury and paralysis, and in future episodes, I plan on talking about everything from love and relationships and breakups, and I hope to interview some of my favorite Instagram writers and uh, writers in general, and people with great stories, while also interweaving my story so you get to know me as a person a little bit better too. 
That being said, I will include a piece of my writing, which I hope that has a common thread to the topic of the day. So this is a piece I wrote quite a few years ago, but I still love to this day, and it is, Paralysis is an everlasting winter in the way that your body freezes in time, completely forgetting how it once beamed with so much life and light. I'm forever waiting for spring. Spring is a hope that I have for the future. Spring is the light that keeps me going. And I'll forever be waiting for spring. Thank you guys so much for listening to the first episode of Tea Time with Tay. I'm so excited. I finally did it. Yay! I'm putting this out in the world and being vulnerable and I really hope you guys enjoyed it and will continue to support me with all of my crazy adventures and ventures. I love you. Stay strong. And I will see you soon. With the release of this podcast, I have also released my website that I've worked very hard on and I'm very proud of. It's taylorlnwrites.com. T-A-Y-L-O-R. L as in Lindsay, N as in Noel, writes, as in W-R-I-T-E-S, dot com. There you can find a documentary that I was able to create with an amazing team of people at my school uh, that we're very proud of that shows you even more about my life. You can find links to my social media, um, Instagram at TaylorLN underscore writes, on Twitter at TaylorLN. Um, and even my Facebook, Taylor LN Writes. And I hope to continue a blog on there. So if you want to continue to support me, just head over to the website, taylorlnwrites.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and I will talk to you soon. Bye.